This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, the war in Ukraine has entered a whole new stage. Ukrainian foreign policy expert Hannah Shalis tells us what we need to know about Mariupol and the heavy fighting in the Donbass region. Does Ukraine need more than weapons? And is it time to start rebuilding the war-ravaged country in some areas? Hannah gives us some insight. How much are you paying for your house? Rent, mortgage, whatever. Your tax. We take a look at historical housing prices across Canada, and we look at some of the politics looming over this housing crisis. Plus, are you okay with technology on the Shift Daily Podcast? podcast. This is the Shift Podcast. Are you okay with Very good. Are you okay with technology? Ooh. Technology. What is it? How does it work? Yes, tech technology is cool. Um I have a little astronaut in my room. It's a tiny little like desk toy and when i turn it on the headlamp ignites an entire galaxy on my roof and i think that's pretty neat i don't know how that works i don't know how any of it works i and i love that it's one of the best mm. parts of life honestly mm. my son used to call astronaut when he was learning how to speak he used to call it an adder snot mm, i like that that's, <laughs> that's very good, good. Yeah. that's a that's yeah. good yeah, I'd, I don't like technology i would never pursue it as a career or anything i just, I just don't like technology in the least you know what your title is, right? <laughs> what? Oh. Say what? Says the technical producer out of downtown Vancouver. Well done. Uh, it's not a typo, by the way. It is technology. Yo. Science. What is it all about? Technology. What is that all about? Is it good or is it whack? <laughs> LEG asked that question so many years ago. <laughs> so let's ask it again. Technology is an amazing thing, and it lets us do incredible things, like calling all kinds of things things, for example. Driving our cars without actually having to drive them. Teslas are known for their ability to drive themselves on highways, but what if your self-driving technology had a mind of its own, and you couldn't even do anything about it? Question mark. That's the hard part. That happened on a Calif to a California man who was on a California highway. His technology broke. This man's Tesla froze. The computer screen froze while he was driving, causing the vehicle to be stuck at 83 miles per hour on the highway. Still staying at the same speed. Blinkers aren't working. The air conditioning turned off. Imagine driving at freeway speeds and your Tesla Model 3 basically freezes. The car's stuck at 83 miles an hour, the main screen jammed, and all of the buttons and switches, like turn signals and even hazard lights, useless. I was driving down the freeway. Um, I noticed that it started to get hot in the car, and it started to started there started to be uh, a weird scent coming javier rodriguez of irvine says it happened to him last thursday while he was heading westbound on the 10 freeway through cabazon even though the accelerator wasn't responding fortunately he says the brakes did work but he says that didn't make him any more comfortable when trying to stop i was nervous that if i were to brake a whole lot that i wouldn't be able to gain the speed again to keep up with traffic and get around cars or I was nervous someone was going to slam into me. He was able to make it off the road, but then the system shut down completely. A few minutes later, though, the car rebooted 
and everything seemed normal. A CHP officer helped him get off the freeway where he eventually had the car towed. He says Tesla later told him they fixed the vehicle, but all they would say about what happened was what he says they wrote up in the report. Diagnosed and found poor communication from charge port door, causing power conversion system to shut off in order to protect onboard components during drive. Well, that's terrifying. Yeah. Curious, isn't it? <laughs> oh my god! I'd like to take a second and um, uh, some people are going to recognize this. Uh, people like me. Now, do you know why we're playing this, Ryan? I, I, I have no idea why we're playing this, Shane. Because they said right there, the California Highway Patrol uh, helped him off. The, oh my god! Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right? Chips. Chips, baby. That was a terrible theme song. No. Yeah. <laughs> Horrible. You know, he, he was stuck at 83. Is it 83 miles an hour? That's 133 yeah. kilometers an hour. They said yeah. freeway speed. That's a little faster than at least our freeway or highway speed. Yeah, that's rocking. And, and, and he's like, I was afraid I couldn't speed up again. Well, isn't that sort of, like, how fast do you need to go? Yeah. So the brakes did work. The great mechanical brakes, they did work. He stopped the car and he stopped the car and the car rebooted and, uh, and everything was fine. Now, I get it. He wants an explanation. I just, it seems to me that it's kind of like he was, I don't know. I don't want to say impatient. I wasn't there, right? I don't know the experience of it. It would be freaky if everything's frozen and you're driving your car. But what's the first thing you would do? You would pull over and stop. Oh, yeah. Right. And he didn't do that. Because he didn't want to slow down, like that's crazy. <laughs> you gotta go fast. You gotta well, go. I imagine, like I've driven in the rural California desert. If that was the rural California desert, where it's like 150 miles between off ramps, maybe I could see why he might not want to pull over. Get a little closer. Yeah. Yeah. But still, I mean, how fast do you need to go? I don't know. I, it's concerning. They say that we fixed it. It's one of those things where you don't get an explanation. That's concerning, I suppose. But he did get an explanation. You know, it's not like he called customer service and they said, is your computer plugged in, sir? Like, that. I mean, have you tried returning off your computer and restarting it? Yeah. Yeah, he got better than that. It's the blinkers not working that scares me. Like that that part of the whole electrical systems that are all connected in those cars and cars today in well, general. All cars that, are all connected. Yeah, exactly. It's just crazy to think like, okay, I can't go any faster. I'm stuck at this speed and I can't signal her. And what was the weird smell too? He said the car had a weird smell. There's a lot going on in that car. Well, there's a lot going on in that car. And I'm not quite sure. Maybe, I guess... Um... I guess. I don't know. I, we weren't there, right? Um, which he said the signal lights didn't work, which reminds me of two things. Number one, I bought a Jeep. It was about a 2001 Jeep TJ, by the way, and it was. I had 14 kilometers on it, and when you hit the ticker to go left, the right signal light came on, and when you hit the ticker to go right, the left signal light came on, and it took weeks to get the module back. That, that particular vehicle was not great, but it does remind me of the song from DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. Uh, you saw my blinker. <laughs> oh do you know this god. song vaguely yeah oh my god this this was one of the uh this was terrible first of all Let's... which by the way um there's a lot of jokes told to me this week about bmws and signal lights because i drive bmw 
which I found unfair, by the way, all you trucker driver. Terrible. I like this song. Back then, it was great. Yeah, it makes sense for the time. Absolutely. It's like a time capsule. It's, yeah, right? I, I'm, I get it. I get it. I'm going to judge it, but I get it. Ooh, sterile. Boy, we're just bringing all the good stuff here. Between this and chips, eh? It kind of sounds like this carry, you're walking by a karaoke patio and this, someone's, someone's singing after a few drinks. Someone's trying to do Kanye? Yeah. There you go. Oh my God. What a great moment of silence. There was this lady out, then you saw my blinker, bitch. Whoa. Oh. That's enough DJ Jazzy Jeff there. Yeah, well, apparently some of the anger management issues were present long ago in his career. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Um, anyway, that other story that was there was from ABC7. Now Thanks, you go. ABC7. Are you okay with... Are you okay with skydiving? I have no problem with skydiving. I have a problem with gravity. No, I have yeah, a problem with... No, we need it. Physics. I have a problem with physics. I have, it's the landing that concerns me the most. Yeah. The, the diving so part, really I think, enjoy, is fine. Yeah, you'd really enjoy it until like that really short window where you got where it's critical to do the right thing. That's the scary part. Although my old manager at EB Games... If he had a bad week, he would just literally go skydiving, come back, and feel fine. He's like, "But this is the best thing for your psyche." I'll never forget it. Just the thickest, you know, Canadian accent. You gotta go skydiving. Forty thousand feet in the air, bud. You'll have a great ringer of a time. Yeah. How many feet in the air? Oh my. He said forty thousand, but it definitely was not that high because I'm pretty sure that's frozen and dead. No oxygen. Yeah, yes. exactly. At least 12,000 is no oxygen. Suborbital there. Uh, suborbital. <laughs> <laughs> Seen the You're in space, man. ISS. That's not true. Yeah, I would say you probably, like, you don't have a problem with physics or gravity. You have a problem with slamming into the earth. Mm -hmm. Like hitting the earth. Momentum is my yeah. problem. Yeah, yeah that's true. Uh, that's true. Well, some people take skydiving to the uh, very extreme, extreme, like this guy did. This man in green plummeting 25,000 feet to earth. No parachute, no wingsuit. Broadcast live on Fox Television, the world watching. What makes you the most nervous? I got a wife and a son. Right. <laughs> I plan on being here for a long time, being yeah. a pain in his neck <laughs> when we get older. So how did Luke Aikens pull off this death-defying feat? A 100-foot-wide net, 20 stories off the ground, his only chance at survival. His helmet beeps and red lights on the ground flash if he's off target. Well, that'd be beep, beep, beep. Uh-oh. <laughs> terrifying as well. Is All right, so that's from ABC News. But this Sunday, how about this? Even even more um, questionable decision-making. Guys, like I'm a dad, so I'm going to be around for a long time, man. Uh, no, uh, you're not, <laughs> actually, would be the answer. Uh, this Sunday, two daredevils, including the guy who jumped from the plane with no parachute... Are attempting a stunt that sort of boggles all notions of reason. Luke Akins and Andy Farrington, longtime pilots, skydivers, and members of the Red Bull Air Force Aviation Crew, that explains a lot, will attempt the mm -hmm. first plane swap. 
Well, what is a plane swap, question mark? Well, let us tell you. Well, they're going to fly each other's planes close together, put them into a nosedive, and then skydive into each other's aircraft before making a safe landing. Okay. Aikens and Farrington will free fly skydive toward each other's planes, catch up to the aircraft, enter the cockpits, disengage the air brake systems, restart the engines, and take control of the planes. So we have two perfectly good planes, point them down, jump out, you take mine, I'll take yours, get inside. The real question to me in all this is when you get in, do you do up your seatbelt? Oh, I would. Hmm. Probably on the first one, but not on the second one, or maybe. But I don't know. All I keep thinking is this is the this is a stunt in the next Mission Impossible movie. That's what Ooh. Tom Cruise is going to try this in like six months. Mm. That's all I can keep thinking about. The stunt will be live streamed on Hulu Sunday at seven PM Eastern time. Oh, good. Well, I hope they aren't like Tesla planes and they get stuck. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> stuck it way too fast. Uh, it's an amazing, like, if it works, it's going to go down as one of the greatest stunts in history. Um, I imagine they have parachutes, and I imagine if they can't get into the planes, they can probably parachute easily. Uh, the planes don't have that option, and they're going to... So, it'll be entertaining regardless. Entertaining is not really the word, I don't think. Mm, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> All right, let's do a quick one here before we're done. Are you okay yes. with... Buying in bulk. Oh, my. Yes. Oh, Let me so show you my haul from the bulk barn this weekend in preparation for the Easter last weekend. I got lots of the, the eggs. Oh, oh nice. Wow. That's I a love feast of barn. chocolate yeah. eggs there. You missed, uh, my as I divulged oh, yeah, when you right. were away, I had two cat like eggs, two mini eggs. Two I, of them? Yeah, my boss in dropped off. Yeah, he dropped off a whole pack for me. And I had two before giving the rest to a traffic reporter. So I that's my sugar for the year right there. Yeah. Wow. What happened? Who are you and what have you done with Brennan Kelly? Um, okay, well, uh, buying in bulk, I love buying in bulk. I think that bulk barn is like the, the, it's like the awesomest of all awesome heavens. Cannabis consumers enjoyed the devil's lettuce on Tuesday in the 420 in bulk. <laughs> but a special delivery of a ridiculous amount of ganja did not make it to its destination yesterday in Missouri. 500 pounds of pot scattered along Interstate 70 yesterday, which happened to be 420. Hmm. The Missouri State Highway Patrol posted this crash. It happened in Callaway County. Thankfully, nobody was hurt here, but a man was arrested for trafficking drugs. That is a lot of marijuana. Hmm. 500 pounds of dope. It's a lot. lot. Missouri State Highway Patrol tweeted a picture of the crash with a caption, you definitely don't see this every day, but it is 420. The occupants of the truck were arrested and charged with drug trafficking. No word on the final destination of the weed. Probably somebody's pocket. But we can't imagine there's a guy chilling in his basement listening to Pink Floyd eating Doritos who really wishes it was delivered on time. But let's be honest, he probably didn't realize it was late. Mm. Mm. (laughs) Um, there. I did... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I did spend some time listening on 420. I turned on some of the 420 playlists. It was really great. It's fun. It's good. Music, I don't partake, man. but um, it was it was really fun to listen to the music. I'm like, this is the stuff that the 420 guys are listening to on a day like today. Interesting. Mm-hmm. A Method Chiba, Man, Chiba. Red Man, right? It was great. Afro Man. 
Oh, I can't go wrong. <laughs> can't go <laughs> wrong with that for a man. <laughs> This is the Shift Podcast. We're going to connect across the Atlantic Ocean, deep into Europe, to a place called Ukraine. I saw, man, the most beautiful Ukrainian flags uh, here uh, on a car. I saw a house that had uh, one in the window and one in the front step. I'm seeing more and more of them now, and I thought I was surprised at first when I saw Ukrainian flags all over the place, how many there was, but there seems to be more and more. As the world, I think, is uniting to what is going on in Ukraine, and there's no better way to try to understand. There's one thing that cuts through all of the reports, all of the news, everything that anybody shares online, and that is the voice of Ukrainians. Hannah Shalist is in Odessa uh, with Ukrainian Prism, uh, PhD, and uh, all-around uh, amazing communicator and helping us understand what's going on. Hannah, thank you for being here. I appreciate it, as always. I was hoping... Because you often mention to us about spring in Edessa as being one of your favorite things. Um, can you help us understand um, some of the um, uh, feelings of spring, if that's okay to start, that you see in Edessa right now in Ukraine? Uh, more or less, yes, that's definitely the uh, longest start of the spring comparing to what we used to have, usually in March. Uh, but uh, at least uh, the green color started to come. And that's definitely, you know, the uh, feeling of the new life around you. That's something what brings a much better mood, especially when it is accompanied with a good sun around, even if the weather is not so warm as it should be usually. Mm -hmm. Um, is that inspiring as Ukrainian to look around you and see this sort of rebirth around you as Mother Nature does what she does? And then you see um, how amazing the hard work and sacrifices being made by Ukrainian military with this attack from Russia? Um, th that's really something like a complete uh, cognitive dissonance that you have inside you because one minute you're walking outside and enjoying the sun and the next uh, minute the sirens start and you can't understand what is going on. And uh, uh, even worse, when you were reading the news, uh, what is happening on the east of the country, uh, that's, uh, that's something unrealistic. Uh, but at the same time, definitely, when you see that the life is reversing and uh, you understand that everything can be reversed, uh, even that the bad memories, you always like, yeah, but when you're in the garden, you see where somebody cut uh, the uh, uh uh, something uh, inappropriately or when it was the uh, uh, thunderstorm and something happened mm -hmm. with your tree uh, 20 years ago. These scarves are, are still uh, available but at the same time you understand that uh, everything can recover and we really hope that Ukraine will be able to recover soon. I do want to talk about the eastern side of Ukraine and get all of your insight on that. Um, can you help us understand what it looks like for Ukrainians in Odessa when the sirens do start? Where, where do you go and what do you do? Um, you know, I even uh, um, recorded it for you, but then decided that the sounds are so awful that it is definitely not for the uh, um, night show to wake somebody around. Uh, oh, but in Odessa, that is quite an interesting combination because you have their official sirens uh, of very, very unpleasant sound because it is not like the ambulance or something. It is of the lower voice of, of the very long sound, so it, it's quite a psychedelic. But then at the same time, all churches are starting with their bells, so to increase the sound all around in the different districts, different streets can uh, hear it. So it is the mix of these uh, technological things and the old way to notify people. How people react, you know, still people are mostly not running to the basements, um, but at the same time, if you're at home, you're not, uh, you're coming to the rooms that 
that are more protected. You're trying to be not near the windows. Uh, if you're in the shop, usually the shop assistants ask everybody to get out to the street because, uh, you know, not to, in case something is targeting and uh, that is rubble, so you would not be um, damaged by it. But it seems to me that because in Odessa we didn't have any targeting against the downtown, that's uh, why most of the people are still um, a little bit neglecting the sirens. Not the same as what you can see in Kiev, for example, where people uh, really knew what does it mean. Just yesterday I saw a picture, the city council of Kiev made it um, uh, all the 60 days, like a calendar, like an advanced calendar, and uh, showed how many sirens per day they had uh, each day and for how many hours per day that's uh, um, been. Uh, some of them being something like 570 minutes uh, per day uh, uh, of the sirens wow. and of the alerts. Oh, that's a staggering number. My goodness. There's a text message that comes in here, Hannah, from one of our listeners. It says, uh, cities around the world should plant vast gardens of sunflowers. They are so beautiful. It's something that we talked about here on the uh, the show uh, quite a while ago. I know it's something that I'm going to do this year um, to plant those sunflowers. So I just wanted to share that. That is some of the conversation that is going on with some of the audience here, uh, the shift heads, about uh, what is happening. And I think it would be incredibly beautiful of the world to show a sign of support in that rebirth part that you speak of. Now, um, I don't want to I don't want to stop talking about all the beautiful things, uh, but we do need to talk about um, uh, all the honest things that are going on. Um, should we start with Mariupol and go from there and, and get your clarity? Because that's what you do. You provide clarity on information um, and start talking about this. I, my cue for you was that what we heard in the news, of course, is that in Mariupol, in the steel plant, that Russia had uh, stopped and said, we're not going to go in there, but we are going to seal it off, which concerns me about hostages. Um, help us understand what's going on. What do you see? Definitely. Uh, Mariupol is quite a small uh, town. It's not a huge uh, um, city. And uh, the fighting's been for these two uh, months in different parts of the city. And uh, Ukrainian forces, different type of the forces, we need to un um, uh, stress this. It is the National Guard, it is uh, armed forces, it is police, uh, it is the border service. So there are all law enforcement that you can imagine. Uh, they have their small units still being present. Uh, there and uh, um, uh, the last week uh, they've been controlling predominantly the territory of the Azovstal plant and the port of Mariupol. Uh, but that is quite a big territory because the, this plant is really huge and it is just on the seaside. And uh, they had uh, like different forces that managed to uh, survive. They've been uh, coming there. Uh, for example, even from the territory of the port to the Azov-style basement, that is the huge construction with the, I would say, it's like a nuclear shelter um, behind. What we know, more or less exactly, that around 2,000 of the uh, uh, military and police are there, from whom uh, one force are wounded. And we have approximately 1,000 of civilians um, together with them, that is mostly kids and uh, wives of the workers of the plant. Uh, who, who've been hiding there from the very first um, uh, day. So uh, that is approximately two to one of military and civilians over there. The Russians uh, are not allowing to evacuate. We asked for many times to evacuate at least civilians, to evacuate by sea. It's been a French president initi initiative. It was the Turkish president proposal to send a Turkish ship to evacuate them by sea. Nothing is happening. The evacuation from the town being in general the most difficult, for example, for you to understand that two days ago, only 79 people were able to evacuate uh, by the official green corridor. 
yesterday the evacuation been uh, um, cancelled because when people started together, the shelling started exactly at the same uh, place. So in addition to these 3,000 people, there are some people around the town still available who, and definitely they would like to evacuate. Uh, that is Kadyrov people. Kadyrov is the leader of Chechnya, um, one of the most uh, um, dirty, uh, violent personality in the Russian Federation. And um, his forces are now uh, uh, controlling some parts of the city, uh, but also different uh, other parts of the Russian armed forces. Uh, we keep negotiating daily, hourly, about evacuating, about green corridors. Uh, the situation is very ambiguous. And uh, what is even more uh, like devastating that just uh, two days ago, uh, um, by the satellite images, we managed to identify yet one mass grave of the Mariupol citizens. And uh, by the information that we have now, it is 300 meters long. And uh, some experts saying that it can be up to 9,000 bodies there. Staggering. In those photos, I mean, it's not, um, it's not only one line. From what I could see in those photos, you know, it looks like there's more than one line of photos and um, and pretty scary stuff with what's going on. My biggest concern, Hannah, is that, you know, uh, you know, Russia's got this victory day thing coming up that they do and they this big celebration. And uh, it's just I, it's going to be really hard. I, I kind of hope the world doesn't watch because it's going to be disgusting to see um, the ego wrapped around it. You know that um, Russia is going to say it's victory day because of the, uh, you know, the special operation and as they call it, um, in, um, they don't call it a war in Russia, uh, in Ukraine is a uh, victory, da, 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 da. And they're going to say all those things. And I'm really, really afraid that they, that what this means when they say, cause they, I, the quote, I'm just uh, paraphrasing, but the, the quote was basically seal off this, this plant. Don't go in, but make sure not even a fly gets out. So that's not humanitarian corridor. That's nothing. That means that nothing gets in. Uh, I'm going to assume, and it's an assumption that that's starving lack of water, um, and a bargaining chip that they're going to try to use in Russia to get things out of Ukraine to say, well, just give us, give us the Donbass and, and you can have your people back. Um, what's the talk around Ukraine and, and your colleagues around this whole don't go in there now that just happened in the last 24 hours? You know, that, that's quite an interesting that suddenly this information appeared and uh, uh, we definitely don't know the exact reasoning for this. But only one thing I can imagine, because just a few days before this, it would be an announcement, uh, uh, to, or better say two announcements. Uh, one was from the uh, um, uh, Russian proxy who said that why not to use chemical weapons against them. And the next day we had a very small chemical attack against uh, uh, the uh, pe people there. And it made a huge uh, scandal in the international media and international organizations. So uh, Russians definitely didn't want that uh, type of the scandal. And then another uh, general said that uh, let's use their air bombs, and air bomb, it is 500 kilos, huge bomb that can reach even the basements. And mm -hmm. that's understandable that it is reaching civilians, uh, because previously they were saying there is no civilians, it's only military there. Ukrainian soldiers managed to film and to show that that is real uh, uh, civilians over there. The uh, um, ownership of the plant confirmed that these people are family members. And that's also, again, in all the international media. So now if they use either chemical weapons, what is the violation of the international conventions, now or the big air bombs, they are targeting deliberately civilians because they already know uh, that civilians are there. After Bucha, after all those pictures from Bucha, 
that is definitely not what they would like to demonstrate because it doesn't correlate with the image of liberators. That's why it seems to me they decided to uh, stop with these big plans. But de facto, the fighting continued and the shelling continued of the Azov territory. It's been uh, just uh, not the same big assault as being expected. Uh, but uh, we can't say that it is the calm uh, uh, around. Concerning what they have, they are already using only technical water. So that's information that we have for the last week or two. So there is no real fresh water um, over there. Hmm. Uh, bunker buster bombs is uh, what we hear about over here as uh, what they're using. And those are the ones that are designed to go to the bunkers underground, make it all the way to the bottom. So just to add some clarity on what you're saying there. Uh, there's been some talk about uh, technology coming, though, that there are a couple of things happening, that there are Ukrainian troops in the UK training how to use um, their armored vehicles. There are reports here that um, the United States has already sent these unmanned ships because you're on the Black Sea. I'm curious your thoughts on that one. And then there's a new report that there is a new product that they're not really revealing much about what it is, but it's a drone that was designed specifically for Ukraine's needs that is now on its way um, to Ukraine. So what are you hearing there? Is it is it arriving? Is it taking too much time? Maybe it's already there. We're hearing about it after the fact. Um, what, what about technology and stuff that's coming from elsewhere? Uh, yes, definitely. We started to receive the heavy uh, weapons that we requested uh, previously. I would say that if we speak about at least UK and US uh, technologies, they are arriving very quickly. So uh, usually from the decision announced to the arrival, that is just a few days when we speak about the US. However, the last weeks, uh, our armed forces started less announcing what is coming because Russians started to target. If you remember a few days ago, the new attack against Lviv, I, it's been exactly because uh, it was just announced that the U.S. weapons came to Poland. So it's approximately 12 hours after this. That's exactly what you need to uh, take this uh, by railway from Poland to Ukraine. Uh, that's why now a lot of countries said that they either will announce um, after the delivery to the units, not even to Ukraine, but exactly to the units, or after successful use, or better even to keep calm. It's, it doesn't mean that if we have less news, that less weapons arriving. It is more weapons arriving, uh, but it is just a matter of security, so these weapons uh, would be delivered to where they need it. And definitely it is the change of nomenclature. Now we have more and more of the heavy weapons that Ukraine requested. Air defense, uh, anti-tank, uh, new armored vehicles, especially th those that are well protected from the mines. There are a huge amount of mines uh, now all around the east and of the north. And uh, um, some of them needs training. So sometimes that is definitely the question, like for, um, I don't know, Javelin or Enlore, you may have a one, two days training, and that's enough for you to be professional in it. When you need to use a new um, armored vehicle or the tank, uh, uh, you need a little bit more time. It's not like to change uh, from uh, Toyota to Mazda. Yeah, well, that's a great description, actually. Um, well, Canada's listening, Hannah. I always appreciate you being here and sharing your heart uh, for sharing a little bit of, um, you know, your day of what life is like in Odessa for you. Um, what do you need Canada to know, as we always sort of finish with? Um, you know, the mic is yours. What, what do you want Canadians to know that they need to know about what Ukraine needs? 
Um, you know what? We are talking now that Ukraine will need, like, we are needing now weapons to win. Uh, but we already started to speak about reconstruction, especially those liberated territories. And more and more countries started to announce their patronage uh, over uh, some of the uh, uh, cities that uh, really suffered. So we know already Denmark, who said that would have uh, Mykolaiv, or we know a uh, uh, few, few countries that took responsibility for Bucha, uh, for Kiev. Uh, Italy said that will help uh, with Odessa. So it seems to me that Canadian cities also can think about uh, some of the Ukrainian cities that they would like to have stronger connections and to contribute not only to the victory, but also to the uh, reconstruction of the country that can be the most reliable Canadian partner in the future oh that's amazing it's like a we would probably call that like a sister city right that you would uh, adopt and uh, build a relationship with and contribute to its regrowth uh, that's a beautiful idea i love that that's fantastic um wow um yeah i love it uh hannah shalist is in odessa ukraine i think it's fantastic that's an i find that inspiring that's it that's it it's just that simple it makes me wonder okay well uh, what should Canada sort of adopt and and uh, or take on as a as a as a sister city and and some of our bigger cities like Vancouver, Toronto, Calgary, um, Edmonton, you know, uh, Ottawa for that matter. Um, what can we do? So I find that incredibly inspiring, Anna. Yeah, you know, some of the cities will need everything from the scratch uh, because Ukrainian city had a lot of, of the uh, sister cities. That That is as a sister cities. And now, by the way, they're helping a lot. For example, I know that uh, Odessa German sister cities are sending humanitarian and medical assistance from the very first day. And uh, the call is usually to the mayor asking, like, what exactly you need? And we will try to get it. That's how we get additional ambulances, for example, some medical support that we are sharing with Mikhailov and the villages around. But now what they're talking about, for example, Denmark yesterday announced about Mykolaiv, we are talking about the heavily deconstructed uh, or destroyed cities. And you will need there everything from the new architecture uh, to the reconstruction of the living quarters to the uh, um, even making the cities more energy efficient because now definitely when you have everything destroyed, you have a chance to build a new type of the city uh, with the new technology, with the new inventions and uh, um, seeing to the future. It's beautiful. Hannah Shalist, uh, Ukrainian Prism, thank you again. I look forward to chatting soon. Thank you for the invitation. This is the Shift Podcast. The conversation uh, has made the news about um, the cost of living and how politicians are property owners. And it's been mind-blowing to me, and I don't care what party they're from, if they have legally acquired property through the course of their career, we as Canadians should not be going after them. Now, could there be a conflict of interest? Yes, there could be a conflict of interest. Should there be a watchdog or an ombudsman or, or some sort of third-party organization that oversees property decisions? That part I get. But for, uh, frankly, the media and for us as Canadians to go after politicians for owning property is so incredibly absurd, right? What? Because somebody bought a condo when they were in their 20s and they just didn't sell it, they rented it, and then through the course of life, it's turned into cash flow for them? Like every author that writes every book about anything to build wealth has done? That makes them bad? No, it doesn't. And I, I ask Canadians, dismiss these conversations that it's wrong that property is owned by politicians. 
That's crazy. Now, I will stand by this. Should there be a third party that filters through decisions around property, mortgages, and all those things? Yes, that could be a thing. I'm not smart enough in that conversation to know whether or not it's uh, valid. But here's the thing. I will tell you this. We are being so distracted for all the wrong things. So what is property? Okay. What is buying a property? Brendan, help me out here. Um, if you go buy a house, you, I'm going to try to lead you here, but it's not really a quiz. But you subscribe to the services of somebody from a certain profession to sell your house. Do you know what profession that might be? Uh, real estate agent. Realtor. Right? That's right. Real estate agent. Do you know how a real estate agent gets paid? On commission when they sell you property, right? Right, right. That's right. Well, typically, uh, they get paid on commission when you buy something or when um, they sell your thing. Now, if you're the person who sells the house, you pay all of the commissions. The person who's buying the house pays no commissions. Um, so do you know uh, what commissions are? What? How can you describe co commissions if you were to describe a commission salesperson? Well, you get a percentage of the sale that you make, do you not? And you just get paid based upon that instead of like getting paid hourly. So you've got to right. you've got to push sales. That's right. So it typically involves investment and risk and all kinds of things. That's why it's a lucrative job for all the houses in the old world that didn't sell. Right? There was a lot more that didn't sell than the ones that did quite often. So hypothetically, would a commission salesperson want to sell things for more money or less money if they're making a commission? Have more money. Okay. So what we have is we have an entire industry that drives the economy of our country that is dictated by people who have taken a course, not in economics, but in buying and selling real estate. There's lots of legalities they need to learn. This course is very important. And so if it's in your best interest, whether you're buying or selling based on commissions, Real estate agents make more money if what? The more, the more they sell, right? Right. The price of the house is higher. So when you go list your house, you go to a real estate agent and you say, hello, Br Brendan, real estate agent guy. How much is my house worth? Well, one real estate agent. Well, I'll tell you what. I'm going to give you a specific story. I went to sell my house in Tuscany on the west side of Calgary. It was at the end of around 2008, I guess, right when the bubble sort of burst in real estate. And I'll be completely frank with the money that I made. I bought that house when you could assume a mortgage because I couldn't afford, I was unemployed, but I had cash. So I assumed a mortgage on a house for about $225,000, $230,000. And I paid out a bunch of cash and assumed the balance of the mortgage, which was around $200,000. You could do that back then. And a couple of years later, I sold that house for $415,000. That's good numbers, right? When I sold that house for $414,000, I called a friend of mine who was a real estate agent and I said, I need to sell my house. What do you sell it for? He said, I would list it at $370 and hope you get $350 because the market is tanking. That was not acceptable to me. He, I went to someone who was a total stranger and said, I need to list my house. What should I sell it for? He said, $410. His partner said, $420. I said, well, let's meet in the middle of 415. My house sold before it hit the market for exactly what I asked for it. If I had listened to the first real estate agent, 
I would have lost $65,000 off of my house just because one guy thought that's what my house was worth. So in, in housing today, real estate agents make more money the more that houses go up. Who decides the value of a house? The real estate agent. Yes, they use comparables because the first argument ball, we just use comparables of this sale or that sale. So you have a real estate agent who makes a higher commission for raising the price of that house. And then after that one sells, then they can raise the price of this house a little bit more, and then this one a little bit more, and this one a little bit more. It's commission sales driving up the value of houses. I would like to think that these people are thinking of um, federal national economics, right, when they're doing this, but they're not. They're thinking about their commissions. They're working hard. They're doing the job that they've subscribed to do. I don't think they're not breaking the rules. They're doing everything that they're meant to do. And we sit here and wonder why the price of houses goes up and up and up. And many people will say cost per foot, because when you build a brand new house, it costs X dollars per foot to build that house. Price of lumber goes up. Price of drywall goes up. Price of siding goes up and so on. That's true. So that's typically where it all starts. Cost per foot to replace it versus where it is now, right? And then you add in some luxurious things like location and proximity. By the way, real estate 101, number one rule, never forget in real estate, you can't renovate location. You can renovate anything you like. You cannot renovate location. So there's a little thing called blind bidding. Blind bidding is when you basically make a bid on a house. Okay, this house is for sale for $500,000. There are the bids. Make a bid, and we don't tell you what the other bids are, and if your bid wins, it wins. You never know what anybody else bid on that house. Now, sometimes the real estate agent will go, I heard the other guy build a six. But you don't really know, and it's kind of shady deals anyway. So what's happening again? You don't really know the legal disclosure of was there seven bids or two bids or whatever. You just know there's another bid. So somebody will say, I'll pay eight. I can afford eight. I like the house. So again, commissions are driving up the houses. And yet we're sitting here looking at politicians because this is on the front page of globalnews.ca. Pierre Polyev among dozens of MPs with rental property amid the housing crunch. Now, Pierre Polyev's running for the conservative party. Of course, he's a target. But the reality is, is that who cares? They bought a condo. They put a renter in a condo. They read a book. The book said, do it. The book says it's going to build your wealth. The problem is not the this. Is there conflict of interest? Maybe. But there needs to be somebody who watches over this way more clearly and closely than this. Because you, you, and me, and Ryan, and Brendan, Ryan's a content producer for The Shift. Brendan is a technical producer for The Shift. I'm just a dumb radio DJ that went into talk radio. I used to talk for seven seconds at a time and make make jokes. All three of us can go to school, and in a couple of months, we can have a license to do exactly the same thing and raise the prices of any house we want. And that is the safety net of the core of our economy. So no, let's stop going after politicians who are following the rules. And if someone's breaking the rules, fine. If there's conflict of interest, yes, then let's get something in place to protect all this. So all of this comes together with how much you're paying for your house right now. And so let's just look at this because this is the conversation that we want to talk about. Uh, Jacob in Nanaimo, $3,800 a month for a three-bedroom plus den, two-bath, one-bedroom suite. Okay, so suite usually means a rental property uh, that you can generate 
cash. So that's probably what helps out Jacob. Thank you, Jacob, for the text message. $500 a month property taxes. Um, and I'm most beautiful. Uh, Nighthawk Steve, $1,400 a month for my house in Winnipeg. Uh, that seems like a good price for a house. $400 a month for my mortgage, $200 biweekly. It'll be paid off in three years. So I asked the question, how long ago did you buy it? 23, 22 years ago. Uh, it was $47,900. It's a house. 22 years later, um, $200 biweekly. That house is paid for. I don't know what it's worth today. Uh, my parents' house, three-bedroom bungalow, extra-wide lot, purchased for twenty six k in 1974, sold in 2021 for three hundred twenty five k. Okay. See, that to me, I mean, hey, it's growth in the market. I made money off of houses. I can't, I can't buy one now as a divorce guy who pays child support. I mean, that's an awesome thing in the government, but whatever. Shane, I pay $285 a month, and it's subsidized housing. Thank you, Michelle, for sharing that. Um, was paying $1,200 for a small two-bedroom by last December, a few days before my new landlord asked me $1,400. I said, no, it's too much, so I agreed for $100 extra. Now I guess she's going to try to uh, raise $100 per year after that, hoping that the housing prices crash at this point. Prices crash at this point. Ron and Poco, $500. Welcome back. Thank you very much, Ron. Pine Falls, Manitoba, an hour and a half from Winnipeg. $100,000 for a three-bedroom house, mortgage $400 a month, property tax $300 a month. Hydro, $290 a month. Wow. That's high. Winnipeg, one-bedroom apartment with underground parking in a decent part of town, 1000 bucks a month. Um, bachelor apartment, $850 a month, Winnipeg. Renting in Airdrie, that's where I live. Trucker Kevin says, $1,800 a month, utilities are included. Attached townhouse. So this, this is the thing, right? Like, I don't knock the realtors. The realtors are doing everything that they're allowed to do. But think about this for a second. Who's going to stop a realtor? And I know people who dabble in real estate, okay? So I, I'm not an expert, but I'll tell you this. I have a friend who owns 100 houses. No joke. Now, that changes anywhere between 5 to 10 houses every six weeks, because there's constantly selling and buying and all those things, renos. There is, you can walk up to somebody at the door and say, I'll give you $300,000 for your townhouse today. And they might go, deal. Could be worth 400000 But nobody steps in to tell them, by the way, you could have got an extra hundred grand out of the deal. Nobody. A real estate agent could walk in and say, you know, there's conflict of interest on buy or sell or stuff that real estate agents can't do. But they could walk in and they could offer a discount for the price. I mean, there are a lot of ethic, ethics rules about a real estate agent. So I'm assuming they're following all the rules. But they're just deciding the price. Does that concern you? Should. Lucy, no mortgage retired. Good for you, Luce. Um, th This is what we're going through. You see that the problem is not... The problem is, I mean, yes, the price of houses are going up. The price of materials are going up. That's the inflation stuff we need to look at. But everything else around all of this is bidding wars and everything to do with it. So it's not okay, my friends. It's not okay that these are going on. It's not okay that we sit here and we throw out there that these, these politicians, because they bought a condo, are wrong. You know what? They've signed up for a job that you and I don't want to do because we don't want to end up on the front page of a website over anything in our lives. So they make, we know how much MPs make, they just got a raise. 
But the 130 or whatever grand it is, Ryan, would you mind giving that a Google so I can give out the right number of an MP salary this year? Um, for whatever that, whatever that number is, they chose the job. Then they got elected. Right? Like, who cares? Use the proceeds. $185,800. Thank you, Ryan. So why are we going after them? We're the electorate. We, we let them get the salary. Come on with this distraction of the same things that nobody seems to want to talk about. It's mind-blowing to me that nobody wants to talk about. Here's some numbers. Ryan put together some numbers. Ryan, let's have some fun. True or false? Let's do today and back in the day. One of these numbers is real. One of these numbers is not real. Okay. You ready? I'm ready. Let's have some, we're going to have some fun. Today and back in the day, house prices. Victoria. One of these is right. One is wrong. Price of a home in 1994, $540,000. Now, $1.2 million. Which one's right? There's no way a home in Victoria is worth $1.2 I'm going back in the day. <laughs> Excuse me. One second. With my throat, you're oh. probably going to hear me turn off my mic from time to time. Uh, oh, 380000 was the average price of a home in 1994 in Victoria. So Kamloops. the average price right now is $1.2 million. That's what I have for the accurate number. Jeez. Oh, okay, so um, okay. Kamloops. Uh, today or back in the day? That's your answer. Which one is right? Two, 2016, 424000 Price of a home now, 800000 Kamloops. Uh, today or back in the go day? Today. Today at $800,000? Oh, boy. Right. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, nope. The average price of a house last month in Kamloops was $650,452. Oh. Okay. So a little bit All cheaper. Right. BK, you want to take a crack at this here? A little today in the yeah, back of the day? Sure, I know. Yeah, okay. Oh, well, it's Vancouver. So, I mean, I'm giving you a free shot here. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> uh, okay. Today or back in the day? That's your answer. The price of a home in 2000 in Vancouver, four hundred grand. Price of a home now in uh, Vancouver, $1.5 million. Which one is right? Uh, oh, 1.5 million now sounds right. Now 1.5 million. Oh, no. Wow. Benchmark price for homes in Metro Vancouver was 1.36 million last month. Oh, that's oh. cheap. Oh, that's just cheap. cheap. Right? Yeah. That's what are we complaining, complaining about, about here? If you paid no interest, the mortgage for 25 years on a house is $40,000 a year. So you're at 3,800 a month for a million dollar home with no interest for 25 years. It's a lot of money. Okay, uh, Calgary. Uh, let's give this one to, to BK. Calgary, price of a home in 1985, 50 grand. Price of a home now, $530,000 in Calgary. Um, today or back in the day? Uh, back in the day, I guess, right? $50,000? Oh, boy. Computer says none. Yeah. I thought that seemed cheap, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, 80000 was the cost in 1985. Which is still cheap. Yeah, I could throw that down. Right? I remember the very first house I paid for was $153,000. All taxes in, including a lot. And it was, um, like that was done, built, brand new, we built it, and that had upgrades. I remember after that, I signed the deal and I'm like, how in the world am I going to afford this house? There's no way I can. Let's go to Hamilton, talk to Mo, 877-399-9898. Hey, Mo. Hey, how you doing? Good, bud. I just wanted to tell you, I do flip on the side, and I agree with you on on, on, on the whole polit politicians are buying homes. You know what? If they're smart with their money and they buy houses, good for them. Um, I'm an immigrant. I came here when I was 14. I saved all my life. I was able to buy my first house. And thanks to that, thanks to the equity of my house, now I'm able to do flips on the side. And hopefully nice. by the end of next year, I'll be 
I'll be uh, mortgage-free. Um, what year did you I, move I, here, no. Mo? Sorry? What year did you move here? I moved here in 1990. And what, uh, where'd you come from? El Salvador. El Salvador. So this is a much different yes. market than El Salvador. Oh, completely different. Completely different. Yeah. Um, I Because because I was an immigrant and, and, you know, we were very poor when we got here. Um, I didn't go to school. I finished high school and I went straight to work. I'm a laborer out of dairy. That's what I do. That's my main job. And uh, and I just got educated on how to uh, use my, the equity of my house and uh, to do flips. And I've done a few. Very successful. I did just one last year. Good for you. <laughs> and, um, and 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 I, I, I've been very blessed to live in Canada. Yeah. And, and to wow. have a system that actually works. Well, you know what, wow. Mo? I think that's fantastic. I think it's, uh, you know, I love the fact that you say that because the lens of a guy who moved here in 1990, right, for the rest of the Canadians like me who were born here, um, to see how hard you've worked to come here and pay attention to the money, man, that's inspiring to me. Mo's in Hamilton. Uh, thank you, Mo, for that one. This text comes in from Trucker Kevin says, I might be mistaken, but back in the day, it wasn't the house of a price based on the city assessment of its worth. I don't know if that's changed. Well, when we do research here, we're doing our research based on the cost of sale price of houses. And you're right, Kevin, there are discrepancies in the price of the value and the price of sales of the right the assessment value because assessment values can go the other way too though so i think it's pretty safe to say call it a wash because assessments everybody who owns a house gets their assessment and just goes that's not what my house is worth so it takes one house in your street to sell for a million dollars to bring up the value of your house so that's not good okay ryan o'donnell today or back in the day we're going to london ontario now i own a business in london i don't anymore and um but i have a friend who still owns business in london I know how much yep. he built his house for. I know how much it's worth today. It's okay. a beautiful, beautiful estate home. St- staggeringly huge. Um, price of a home today or back in the day? That's your answer. Price of the home in 1996 in London, Ontario, 127000 Price of a home okay. now in uh, London, Ontario, 345000 Which one's right? I'm going to go back in the day. Back in the day is... That's refreshing. That was nice. So the average price of a home in 1996, by our research, was $127,000. Price of a home today yep. is not three forty-five. dollars uh, Last month of December, the average home price in London was $555,000. It's Toronto overflow, wow. right? Hamilton is the same. I mean, Hamilton, uh, you know, depends on where you live in Hamilton, right? Um, I know that we have some text messages from Mary. Mary had said, we pay $1,300 to bedroom apartment, all inclusive, been here three years. Current market, that's worth $2,140 plus hydro. So, uh, in Hamilton, um, Ryan, price of a home in 2009, 250 grand. Price of a home now, 970 grand. Today or back in the day, which one of those numbers is right? Um, well, I used to live in Burlington, and I know yeah. that my old home, which was not, which we paid maybe four hundred thousand for in the or late two thousands, was four hundred thousand dollars, and now is worth almost a million, which is ridiculous uh, to me. So I'm going to go with nine hundred seventy thousand. Nine hundred seventy thousand dollars. Yes, absolutely. Today, yes, so the price, today, the price yes. of a home in two thousand nine was three hundred thirteen thousand dollars. When I sold my house in St. Catharines, BK, your hometown. Um, when I sold my house in St. Catharines, I think we sold it for 200 and I think we bought it for 200. We sold it for 215 or 220. We were only there for a year. Did really well, all things considered. So, um, you know, that's changed a lot. Good luck finding a, a house with a single attached garage with a yard for $215,000.
Kind of makes me wish I had kept them all, right? Could you imagine if you could afford to just keep them? That would have been all right. Um, okay, Toronto, the big one. Uh, who wants to take on Toronto? BK? Ryan? I think BK should. Okay, fine. BK yeah. should right. do it. He needs a point. He needs a point. Today or back in the day, price of a home in Toronto, 1996, 198000 Price of a home now, $1.5 million. Um, I'll go with 1996 on this one. 1996. Absolutely it is. Price of a home in 1996 in Toronto. Average price, $198,000. Average price of a semi-detached home in Toronto is $1.3 million. Yeah, so it's working, the system, as you can tell. It's clearly working. Who benefits from this? The banks, because you pay more interest. You pay, even if, you notice how interest rates have gone down. Interest rates have gone down because they're making more money on less interest. Because the price houses are so big, or the house prices are so big. Real estate agents, everything else. So, should, real, should our uh, government employees... Elected officials be under the microscope here? No, they shouldn't be. Should there perhaps be a conflict of interest filter in policy? Yeah, I can see that one. But the reality is, is this needs to be looked at because the only people that are making money on this is the people that are deciding the prices. Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.